welcome back to another great edition of the official, yes, the official 615 podcast, along with my best friend in life, Greg Pogue. Excited to have you on again for this journey. And Greg, once again, another outstanding guest. Best friend in life, huh? Wow. Merry Christmas to you, too. (laughs) Hey, once again, I want to thank everybody here, Omni Nashville Hotel, uh, Music City, Todd Rotermail. We're in Kitchen Notes recording the official 615 podcast today with a guest. uh, He knows a little something about hoops. Something we've never done before. Had a Hall of Famer on the show. We'll get that in just a moment. Yes. Get that in just a moment. Again, this podcast sponsored by good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. Check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Payne Bone and his staff down, down there do an incredible job in Lebanon of making sure you are number one. Customer service is the utmost priority for them. And check out the website, Wilson County Hyundai. You know, just thinking, uh, I'd say Rudy Kalis, Hope Hines, Vicky Yates are probably in some halls of fame, if you think about it. But not this. No, not the uh, <laughs> not the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame. Former Belmont coach, now retired, good guy, among everything else. Built that program from an NAIA program from scratch, basically, taking it to where it is today. Rick Bird is our guest on the official 615 podcast. Thanks, Rick. Thank you, guys. How you doing? I'm good. I've stayed up all night practicing there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. How's retirement? It's great. It's, yeah. it's, um, I was ready, and um, it's nice to uh, have a few, hopefully a few, few more healthy years to uh, walk and carry my clubs on the golf course and play with my grandkids and uh, and not really have a, a a schedule where you have to be anywhere at a particular time and uh, you know I think that's a little underrated when you when you work most of your life uh, I think there's a I think there's a level of stress that you automatically feel that you don't even realize is there and when you when you walk away it's kind of lifted off with the last few months you know for you when basketball season comes around that everything what's it like because they see you guys start practicing in the summertime and now it comes the fall and now all that i'm sure a big part of you misses it what's the feeling now that you're kind of on the outside looking in well again i really i really felt like it was the right time for me so i don't i don't miss a lot i miss the players and the relationship with players and the and the immediate basketball staff and the athletic department staff that I uh, went to work with for for 33 years at Belmont. And, and you do that every day, and then all of a sudden you aren't seeing those people. Uh, that's a change. But I don't, I don't really miss the coaching part of it. I, don't, I certainly don't miss watching hours and hours of video <laughs> uh, to prepare for the other team or to watch our team play bad and, and uh, that kind of stuff. You know, I don't, I don't miss that. The recruiting component, yeah. you know, it, even before, but now transfers, yeah, right. uh, COVID, extra years. What are you going to do with high schoolers? You know, when you don't have enough scholarships, it's a, it that whole thing's changed. It has changed, and I, I didn't. A lot of people get out partly because they don't enjoy recruiting. I never, I never felt that way about that. We had we had a sort of a little niche of, of the kind of guys we wanted in our program, and. Uh, and we didn't have to fight the the AU battle, but but now with the transfer thing, and you look and you recruit a good player to a program like Belmont or Lipscomb or any mid major program, and that kid turns out to be really good as a freshman, then you got to you got to re recruit your own players. Uh, I hate that it's created a situation where where coaches are recruiting players from other coaches' programs. That just doesn't seem right to me. 
I, I've heard that from other coaches as well. The same. That's like I, I can't. I could not do that. I don't want to do that. And that's the way the game has changed now. Uh, I got to go back with you. I love the genesis of stories to the day when Belmont reached out to you many years ago and said, we'd like to be our head coach. Your immediate thoughts at the time, I knew you knew where Belmont was, but what was going through your mind? Well, I was a coach at Lincoln Memorial University, and, and both of us were in the NAIA, and we had actually played Belmont three different times. We played them in a tournament. We played them home and home. Uh, the year prior to that, uh, I had a, a good friend in Ron Bargatze, uh, who graduated from Belmont and knew Kenny Sidwell, who was the dean of students, who was going to be doing a lot of the hiring. And uh, and I was really interested because I felt like uh, Belmont was a growing school. I felt like Nashville certainly was a growing city. Um, nothing against Harrogate, Tennessee, but it's a, it's a lot different. Yeah. Uh, and um, so uh, I don't know. I guess they reached out to me in a way, but it was because Ron – said, I think this guy would be interested, and I, w- I was interested. And uh, it happened fast. And as I look back on it, Joe, uh, the interesting thing is Don Purdy resigned uh, in maybe the middle of February. And and they start they started going immediately. I'm still coaching LMU. We've got a really good team. In fact, we lost to, to Lipscomb in the finals of um, the District 24, which was State of Tennessee Championship. <clears throat> excuse me, they went on to win the national championship. Uh, But I interviewed and accepted the job before our season was over. And that just seems odd to me now. I don't know. (laughs) It didn't at the time, uh, but, uh, and nobody really said anything about it like that. But, uh, uh, but, you know, I had to tell the guys on our team that I was not going to be there next year. I mean, I continued to coach our team and, and, uh, but uh, kind of kind of different now. And nowadays, coaches get fired in the middle of seasons, and that didn't happen right at that time either. Or nowadays, you got a player at Belmont's already got his high school head coaching job set up. That's pretty good. It's in Knoxville. <laughs> that first year uh, at Belmont, you go five hundred. Then twenty wins were commonplace, culminating in that ninety four ninety five season where you won thirty seven games the in you know the final four and but concurrently running all the way through that was Don Meyer and Lipscomb, and the fact that you could bring Belmont to where Lipscomb was, and then you guys could run that race together. It really is a part of basketball history in our city that will live for many, many years. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of people these days that don't that weren't here and didn't remember that, all of that. Um, you know, I, I have said often and mean it sincerely that if Lipscomb's program wasn't as good as it was uh, when I took the job at Belmont, then I don't think Belmont would have ended up being as good. I mean, they – the, the bar was raised to the highest level of small college basketball. They just won a national championship uh, when I took the job. And um, so uh, my first thought was uh, we, we've got to, we got to beat these other people in the conference uh, before we, I mean, we can't just all of a sudden reach out and, and be as good as Lipscomb. Uh, but in the second year we did beat them at the end of the season and we both finished 15 and one in the league. And then the third season, they had maybe their best team ever uh, at 38 and one uh, going into the semifinals, of the district 24 game with us. And uh, Joe Bailey scored 58 points. And we, we went over there and 
and and and beat them and went to the and then beat LMU with a bunch of my old players oh. in, the, in the in the finals to go to Kansas City for the first time ever and uh, you know people wouldn't realize it but that that felt every bit as good and as big as the first time we went to the NCAA tournament because that's where you are and that's that's all you can do is strive to to get to the national tournament at your level. I want to talk about a game that you coached in front of at least. 250,000 people that was growing at Memorial gym uh, against Lipscomb that year. I mean, when you walk out there and you see 15,000 people Mm -hmm. sold out for an NAIA game, if you look from the outside looking in, but we all knew what that game was. I mean, how important it was. Take me back to that moment when you realized, my goodness, people want to see us. Well, it was this, I'll back it up a little bit because uh, the, uh, the forerunner to the national sports council, uh, Rick Region mm-hmm. and and bunch of the, they want they wanted to to have a Belmont Lipscomb game the year before is when we had beaten them that way and so uh, there was and and almost everybody was back on both teams Philip Hutchison the AD now at Lipscomb was there Joe Bailing and he had tremendous battles inside Scott Corley was on our team Scott Speedy was on our team wow. anyway. Um, I'm going to try to be nice about this, but Lipscomb, Lipscomb didn't want to give up their home date. Uh, our home date uh, was not available. Uh, the, the Memorial Gym wasn't available, but it was for Lipscomb's home date. They didn't want to give up their home date. So I talked to our seniors, uh, and uh, we flipped. We, we, we gave up our home game, flipped it with them, went to their place, and then so that we could have the – we could have that game there, and um, you know, I don't think anybody had any idea that it would sell out. I think tickets were general admission, five dollars a piece. <laughs> Vanderbilt Children's Hospital was the beneficiary of all of that, and uh, and when they announced during the women's game that the place was sold out, I mean, they shut the doors. The fire marshal shut the doors that night, and um, I don't, I don't see how that'll ever be beaten as a as a small college basketball attendance record, and it was. It was great, and we held Lipscomb to 124 points. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was one of the 250,000 there, by the way. And and it, you talk about I, it, the thing is, it's I didn't know the part about the flipping of the home games, and we've talked about this many, many times. I didn't, I didn't even know that component of it. Uh, through that though, and then the move to NCAA Division One, and you were sort of in a in a. What's 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 between heaven and hell? Purgatory. Purgatory. Thank there you very go. much. <laughs> <laughs> Not that the other one's hell, but you were in basketball purgatory for a while. Well, we were. In fact, the first year, li- literally there, because we the NAI kicked us out because we had declared our intention to go to Division One, but we we couldn't just immediately join Division One. So we played, I think, five or six Division One schools. We played Division Three schools. We played NAI schools. We. <laughs> We, and we had a bunch of freshmen that we had recruited to be Division One players. Of course, at that point, Greg, when you, when you don't have a building that's a Division One building, you're not in a conference, you don't have an avenue to the NCAA tournament for, for four or five or six years, you're, you're only going to get marginal Division One players. It's just you're going to get guys that almost no other Division One schools wanted. And so – those we had about five freshmen that year that got to start and play all those games. 
and and got ready to play our first season of Division One the next year. But it was a it was both a rough four or five year period, but in many ways it's it's close to the most fun part of of my coaching career because uh, we were start. I got to I got to be a Division One basketball coach at the same school I loved. I didn't have to go from Belmont to some other lower level mid major program. I got to stay in Nashville and stay at Belmont, and and there's nothing like building towards something. And uh, so and you hear that all the time. It's not about the destination; it's about the journey. And in in that case, it was, you know, it was no fun to get go to Ole Miss and get beat by forty. Um, uh, and actually, by I, I saw it this morning. I was looking up bold scores for some reason. We got beat fifty-two at Florida one year, <laughs> uh, and I think they called the dogs off with about a couple of minutes to go. That wasn't in part of your uh, college basketball, your your basketball Hall of Fame induction <laughs> speech, was it? Uh, it should have been. <laughs> and uh, uh, but um, but we we steadily grew in the right direction, and then we got the curb event center built and we, we got into the Atlantic sun at that time. Um, then we had a pathway and it, it wasn't long before we, we were in the tournament. I, I love stealing this line from Greg that he, about his father was a basketball coach was I can't tell you all the games that I won, but I can sure as hell tell you yep. all the games I lost. Yep. And you're talking about getting beat by 40 at Florida, 50 old Miss. And I just think that still drives you kind of as a basketball coach nuts, even all these years later. <laughs> <laughs> no, the close losses are the ones yeah. that you remember the, the, the Duke game in 2008. Well, he brought up something. My father was a basketball coach. I'm a sports writer by trade. Ben, your father, legendary sports <laughs> writer uh, in Knoxville and the sports writer, sports mm-hmm. editor, the son of you become a basketball coach. Yeah. And I don't think I would have if, if he hadn't been um, the Tennessee basketball was his beat. Uh, and so I'd go to practices uh, and, and during games, I literally sat underneath the sports, underneath the table, the press table on the edge of the court, you know, three feet from the, from the sideline and, and six or seven feet from Ray Mears, the head coach at Tennessee and I don't know how that doesn't influence you greatly. And I love to play. I mean, I already loved to play even when I was seven or eight years old. So I don't think there was anything else I was going to do. When you get mentioned, you know, how many times you get mentioned for the Tennessee job? 55, all the chaos I was going up there. What was that like? Because I, I don't think, at least me looking at you, you were not going to take that job, obviously. But was there part of you that maybe thought, eh. I don't, I don't know if I agree with he wouldn't have taken that job if at the right time had come. I'll let him answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay if y'all just go ahead and go back and forth on it. Finally, um, you know, by the time that I was even – um, a candidate uh, where, where instead of me trying to get a job, people were calling. I was, I mean, 2008, we won, we, we were third straight year in the NCAA tournament. So that, you know, the first year anybody can make it right. And then the second year, but, but when we make it three years in a row, then things start happening a little bit. And I just, so, so I'm 55 by that time. And, uh, and I'm, Quality of life has become more important to me than climbing some kind of career ladder. Um, so I wasn't I, – I, I talked to some people. I met with some people. Uh, I never – you know, it, then it becomes a gut thing, and it, I never got close. 
even talked to Vanderbilt about the women's job one year. Um, wow. before, before we were there, before we were, we'd had the, that run. And, um, uh, but in Tennessee, when it, you know, it came open, what, two or three or four times there. And, uh, and, but one time after, after Bruce Pearl was let go, um, then I interviewed with them, went to Atlanta and had an interview. And, uh, I just, I didn't really want to do it, really want to go, except I knew a couple of things. I knew, I felt like they needed a change of direction. Uh, and I was hoping that I could offer that if that was the case. It was, it was my school. I mean, I grew up, I grew up coloring my t-shirts orange and white because you couldn't buy stuff back then, believe it or not. I mean, there was none of that kind of merchandise right. thing. So you just had to create your own Tennessee basketball t-shirt if you wanted one. And, uh, and, and I went to school there and, and so I kind of felt like maybe this is something I'm supposed to do. Uh, <clears throat> but I left the interview and, and I didn't know how it went. You know, I didn't, I didn't, a lot of people get super prepared for those things. I got about as much prepared for that as I am today. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Us too. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and they, and they, they hired Conzo Martin. Mike Hamilton called me back and it was really nice. And, uh, and, you know, it sounds easy to say this now, but I was so glad that was the answer. And I didn't have to make that decision that you're asking me about. So I, I never pursued it. Uh, I, the other thing I didn't mention was I knew that if I went, that I would make enough money that I wouldn't have to work again the rest of my life. <laughs> right. So that was, that was out there too, <laughs> believe me. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're listening to the official 615 podcast powered by Wilson County Hyundai. Check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. There's a reason you see so many Hyundais around Middle Tennessee with the Wilson County sticker on the back because they do such an outstanding job making you number one. Check them out online at Wilson County Hyundai. We are at Omni Nashville Hotel. I want to thank uh, Todd Rotermel, Music City Todd, all the great folks down here. They've brought us another spread of these wonderful biscuits down here. And uh, there's going to be some news coming uh, in the, the new year about Uh-oh. what's happening here at Kitchen Dose. So t- uh, stay tuned for that. Rick Bird is our guest, former Belmont coach. The uh, is going to be the recipient of the John R. Wooden Legends of Coaching Award in April. Just uh, we known about the induction, but the ceremony recently into the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame during a ceremony in Kansas City. And that, I mean, you look at Lynn, uh, I mean, the people obviously posthumously, Lynn Bias, David Greenwood, Hersey Hawkins, Tom Penders, who people say I look alike. I don't <laughs> know about that. Uh, but what was that evening like or that whole, not evening, but the yeah. whole everything that was into it? Well, they do it. They do a really good job with it. Greg, um, uh, it, it was great. It was a great weekend. Um, I got my whole family, immediate family, basically, uh, both my daughters, uh, uh, Cheryl and her son and, and, um, spouses and two grandkids. And, uh, and that was probably more meaningful than almost anything that, that everybody could be there. Uh, but they just do a first class job with it. And it's interesting. You ask about the acceptance speech, they don't do it that way. They have, they have, they had Coach Penders and I come up, and then they would have, you know, two two of the players, they, two at a time. Uh, and Andy Katz and young lady were the two people. They just asked questions, and so again, it's like it's kind of like this. I didn't really have to prepare. I didn't know what they were going to ask. Right. I figured I could wing it if I didn't know the answers, and uh, uh, so it was it was comfortable. Uh, 
I think, and I think it's a better way to do it, frankly. I didn't get a chance to go through all my thank yous, which maybe you wish you could do, but there's, there's too many people anyway. You leave people out. Uh, and I think, I think the other seven families sitting out there are, are, are wishing you hurry up and get through with all your things. <laughs> and, and, and in this case, at least it's interesting. Uh, Lynn Bias's mom accepted it and she's a, she has a doctorate and, uh, she was she was fascinating. Uh, easily the best part of that evening was to listen to her talk about. Well, she w- one question to her was, "What made your what, what made your son such an exciting player to watch?" And her answer was, "You'll have to ask my husband about the basketball side of it because I really don't know wow. anything about it." And she was just interested in Lynn, her son, and uh, and unfortunately enough, she they also lost a son to a drive-by shooting. accidental so uh man that family's faced some tough stuff but Uh, she she was impressive and very sweet very nice very nice couple uh when you do that when you're up there is there one person that you miss i mean just like i wish this person could be here whether it's a mother father friend somebody was there somebody that you missed that weekend well you know my mom and dad have both passed away so um that's that's two that you wish uh Scott Corley came, um, a former player and our athletic director. I think if it was closer, um, I would it would have been it would have been nice to have players uh, there. But that's a you know that's a long way to go, an expensive way to go, right? And and all that. So, uh, uh, but if it had been a little bit easier, that would have been nice too. But it's great. It's in it's they have a college basketball experience right there, and it's a it's a phenomenal hands on uh, museum. Where the where the Hall of Fame is housed, it's a, I mean they they've got, you know, three point shooting contest, buzzer beaters, free throws, slam dunks. They can move the goals to whatever size. Even nice. I could, even I could. <laughs> Did you just cup one. Like I didn't that? do. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't dressed for it. But I, but if I if I was a twelve year old kid, I could stay in there all day long. First time you met Vince Gill. Uh, it was at Nashville Golf and Athletic Club. Ron Bargatze and I were, were playing together in a two-man thing, and we were we were seven A, and he was in the group on seven B on the shotgun start. And I and I was a country music fan, and he was an up and comer. And uh, so I just went over and introduced myself. And in the day, we traded phone numbers, and uh, um, <laughs> so I called him up. Uh, oh, maybe. 10 days later, you know, and his wife, Janice, at the time, Sweethearts of the Rodeo, they were actually more famous at the time. And uh, I was nervous that she'd answer the phone and I'd be talking to some star, you know. And, and uh, But I asked him to come play in the Nashville, uh, or the Nashville Baptist Association Scramble. Uh, and it was in Murfreesboro, at, at Old Fort Golf Course, or whatever it is down there. And... Uh, so Vince, Vince is driving, and we're, we're, we're out there. We get there. Vince isn't there yet. We're all, you know, we're ready to go. They're sending the carts out. He's not there yet. And we're thinking typical musician. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, a sheriff's car pulls up, and uh, they have to get out and open up the back door because, you know, you can't get out of those things. <laughs> and and he, he, had, he had, looking for the entrance to the golf course, he had run right in the back of somebody and told his car. And so I drove him back to Nashville that day and, and, uh, we got to talk about a lot of things and, uh, he started coming to games. Uh, I'm going to tell too many stories here, but, uh, the first game he ever came to was at Lipscomb 
in the old uh, preseason Tennessee Collegiate Athletic Conference tournament. So we were playing somebody like Union, I think. It was Union. And it was an afternoon. There was nobody there. I mean, there was literally, you know, 18 people watching this game. And uh, Vince comes back. And Vince and I are not close, okay? We we played golf that day, and I told him we were playing, and he came. And, and like, the first time the official made a call that he didn't agree with, <laughs> he ran the length of the bleachers, slamming those bleachers going bang, bang, bang. You know how bleachers yeah. – wouldn't bleachers sound? <laughs> yelling at the officials. <laughs> and uh, – <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, he he uh, he would travel and watch us, and uh, he was a he was a tremendous friend and and fan. It still is, but uh, but in those again, like a lot of things back in those early days, things were just almost more fun. <laughs> we played noon ball games over there. Uh, you've talked about some some of the guys like like Rudy Cadiz would come, Joe Biddle, George Plaster. Um, Dan Beebe, Jim Delaney, two OVC commissioners that would come and play regularly, Larry Stewart from Restless Heart. Uh, we'd all have a big big noon game, and then we'd, we'd, uh, we'd go over and, and add calories at Brown's Diner and eat, eat cheeseburger <laughs> and french fries. I got to tell you one story <laughs> off of that. Uh, one of my favorite moments ever working in television, you know, we'd go shoot a Belmont game. We'd find you, get shots of you, and we'd get shots of Vince. This one particular night, there's Vince and there's Kevin Stallings. And I'm not sure that they weren't had a few sips, you know what I'm saying? And they laid it on, Coach. They laid it on the referees all night long. I shot the video. I went back. I called ESPN. I said, I got something fun for you. I got Vince Gill and Kevin Stallings at a Belmont basketball game. And they said, there's no way. I said, I'm going to send you the video. <laughs> and they had the video like 20 seconds that night. of just, really? And Stallings was going insane. <laughs> and Vince was laughing, having a good time. But it was it just it captured what you just talked about right there. I mean, people yeah. love you. They gravitate towards you. It was a fun night, fun game. There's Vince Gill and Kevin Stallings. Yeah. And I'll never forget that moment. Well, and it, it became a badge. Part of it. it became a badge of cur- I mean, a badge of honor for the referee to be yelled at oh. by Vince. <laughs> you know, probably that first time the referee's going, who's this guy? <laughs> You know, but well, Vince told me that one of them, uh, one of them after a game came up to him and said, he said, why in the world are you yelling at me? I'm one of the few guys that bought your record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, the official 615 podcast, uh, Rick Bird is our guest. Uh, Casey Alexander seems such the perfect fit. Of course, played for you on your staff, went away to Stetson to get, Three years of head coaching experience, Lipscomb now at at, at Belmont, and and the Mizzou, the move to the Missouri Valley Conference. Which when four schools left the OVC, two of them I understood, and two of them I didn't. Belmont, I totally understood the Missouri Valley Conference. Just where the program is now with Casey, and where it could go now in a more elevated basketball conference. Well, there's a couple of things. First, Casey is is. Uh a terrific basketball coach. He was when he was on my staff. He played for two of the best coaches in in Tennessee in Carlton Flat football at Brentwood Academy and Ricky Bowers was his basketball coach. The guy the guy and he's just made that way. He's a competitor. He's like me, not not very tall and gifted in a lot of ways, <laughs> but 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 knew what he had to do to win games as a player and he did that for us. Nobody thought he would end up being a starter in our program. And he ends up making all conference and being the the leader on that thirty seven and two team that you talked about earlier in nineteen ninety five. So he he's he's a really really good basketball coach. 
kids like playing for him. Uh, and uh, the second part of that, the Missouri Valley move, I think, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, I, it's not, it's not going to be as easy the path to the NCAA tournament. Everybody in that league's trying pretty hard to win games and you're not going to have a bottom four that just show up and you beat them every time. And, uh, there was always that in the Atlantic Sun and, and to a certain degree in the OVC. Um, but I can tell you this about recruiting. Level, the, the, the perception of the level by the recruit and his family was a huge deal. And we would get beat uh, by people we didn't think we should get beat by. We thought our team was better, our program was better, our school was better, our city was better. But they were in the Missouri Valley, they were in the Atlantic 10 or they were in the, the uh, Mid-American, something that's a definite notch above Atlantic Sun or OVC every year in and year out. So number one, that's going to be a difference maker. Uh, number two, if you haven't been over to Crockett Center for Athletic Excellence, if, if that's the right name, um, it, it's, it is a world-class. It's an NBA class, Power 5 class practice facility that uh, will knock recruits in their family socks off when they walk in there and see that it just it just says commitment in a big way so uh, so they're going to get better players and they're going to have to because <clears throat> because of the league but they got a great coaching staff uh, fortunately a lot of guys that I got to coach and played for me are over there and um, uh, it's going to be fun it's going to be fun the next step in, is going to be fun 2006 you get to the NCAA tournament big dream, big wish, you get there and everything. You're in San Diego, there's a bomb threat. Yeah, I the wish, game, it, the, wish it lasted longer. <laughs> the game I don't is, wish it had gone off. I just wish it lasted longer. <laughs> the game is pushed back. Did, were you told what was going on? How did they inform you of that? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they just said there's a bomb threat, and we'll, we'll let you know when, it, when we're going to restart. And it seemed like it ended up being, what, two, two and a half hours later than – than it was going to be anyway. So um, it's just one of those things you kind of roll with it. I don't think that we were going to beat UCLA had we played at the original time. I, I just, <laughs> I, the way the game went, uh, we had we had one offense, and that was to throw it inside, and uh, they kept knocking the ball back out. <laughs> Boomer Herndon tried, but uh, they just, uh, you know, he couldn't get it over – I can't even pronounce the guy's name. You guys remember who it was? Maybe big, big center. And um, and I didn't have Plan B offensively. And I think we ended up scoring thirty nine points. I don't know. It was it was, but it was the NCAA. I mean, the experience of your first NCAA yeah. tournament. Just you know, you can almost forget the game. You you can. You, I don't. You don't do it at the time. But when it's all said and done, you realize. I mean, we're we're in those buses and the California Highway Patrol or or taking us all over the the place in San Diego and lights flashing and, you know, you think you're a rock star. I just, you get there and then, you know, it's like, oh, I bomb, come on, I bomb threat. It's just that whole day. Do you, do you remember the whole day before the game and the trip? Does that kind of stand out to you? Yeah, yeah, just so much of it. And it, fortunately for us, it got to be something that we that we got familiar with and it's pretty much the same kind of thing everywhere you go uh, each, each tournament, but then everything was wide eyes and, you know, you're, you're practicing and, and I'm, you know, during, during our one hour practice, I'm being, I'm talking to Dick Enberg, uh, for an hour <laughs> talking about our team. And, and that's what they do. That's what, and you know, I, that's one of the things I'll remember. I got to, 
you know, I got I got to coach a game that Dick Enberg called. That's pretty that's pretty great, and uh, and I've done the same with the uh, with Jim Nance and Charlotte in 2015. And you you know, there's just uh, when you get they're they're legendary, and uh, yeah. so. Uh, that was pretty great. Real quick, in the same room, we had Shane Foster on years ago on a radio show, Greg and I did, and we talked about how often he thinks about the Jeff Green travel and the basketball game, Georgetown, everything. He says every single night, the Duke loss in 2008 still irk you just a tad bit? And I, I, thanks for bringing it up. Right? I, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's a funny – It's. It, it, number one, it was such a positive. Even though we lost the game, it was the it was the single most visible thing that Belmont basketball had ever done. Every it was different then. It wasn't on the four different channels that it's on now. It was everybody went to that game. Yes, and uh, and I know. I mean, I heard I've heard stories my whole life since then about where people were and the Predators put it up on the thing and the coaches called. David Freeman's told me the coaches called called up there and said, take that game off the board. And he said, no, I'm not going <laughs> to. And, uh, uh, and uh, so, you know, the, the, I think the thing that bothers me is I did, a, I did a, we had an out of bounds play that, that uh, if we could score on, we take the lead. And, uh, and, and it was, it was, it was set to be one that should work against a man or zone because they would play both. Uh, and, um, we just messed it up through the through the lob pass and through the lob pass to the Duke player instead of instead of Shane Dansby on our team. It was there though, wasn't it? Uh, well, I, you know, it should have been. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was or not, but um, uh, so so it was a loss. But we still were kind of the, we were the team of the night in the NCAA tournament, even though we lost the game by one. And and of course, it's you won't be surprised at this, but. Uh, there's a lot of people that that now think we won the game. So. <laughs> Don't correct them. No, yeah. absolutely not. Thanks. Thank Every time you. you beat Duke, it was a mistake. It was a big. It was a big game. You know, we played them. We played them. I'll always remember the day because we played them on 11, 11, 11 in uh, in Durham at Duke. Opened the season with them, and they beat us by one again. So we we played 80 minutes against Duke, and we're down two. Wow. You want to sit here all day? We could. Yeah, I go, I could. I know. Yeah. I know. We've got to eat these biscuits. <laughs> That's fastest 35 minutes we've ever had on this yeah. show. Well, thank guys, you. Thank you. It's, yeah, fast for me, too. I appreciate you asking. Uh, whatever you got going next, Greg, just let me know. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I've got 14 jobs. <laughs> Rick, and, and, and personally, thank you. You've been you know, from a professional and a personal, thank you well, uh, for all the years. You've really you. been good. You, you've yeah. been here. You guys have been here for a long, like long a time. cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> That's your words, not mine. <laughs> you have been listening to the official six one five podcast with the great Rick Bird today. Greg, as always, I'm not kidding. That was the fastest thirty five minutes uh, we've had. Yep, and uh, certainly from the basketball perspective, the, the legend, uh, certainly with Rick Bird. And uh, he was, yeah, there you are. You're a legend, Rick. Yes. Hey, hey, again, legendary place right here, Omni Nashville Hotel. I want to thank Music City Todd, his entire staff, and, and gracious to let us come down here and uh, record the official 615 podcast. So, And for me, uh, Merry Christmas. Yes. We'll be back in here next week. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, and thanks, everybody, for downloading all that have downloaded our uh, podcast so far. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And thank you again to Wilson County. Hyundai.com. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.